Good morning. Let's go ahead and begin. It's good, good to gather. It's fun to start a new series together as well. We spent quite a bit of the summer, you know, walking through the doctrines of grace. This morning we begin a study on the book of Leviticus. I ended Sunday school saying that, and I think the response almost sounded like I was joking from everyone. I said, we'll be in Leviticus next week. I was indeed uh, serious. We got uh, 10 weeks that we're going to spend in Leviticus. And so it's not that we're going to walk through the book verse by verse and and talk about um, a lot of the details. In fact, you'll see there's a lot of details, Uh, very, very specific rules, laws, uh, details that, that God gives to Moses to give to Aaron and the the people of Israel. So, so we're going to look at, at themes more as we, we do look at the outline of the book, we're, but we're, gonna, we're going to look at sections over the course of 10 weeks. So if this morning is kind of an introduction to Leviticus, then we'll have nine weeks where we're dividing up the 27 chapters over the course of nine weeks. So kind of a, a quick pace, but also not, not just a, a survey. To, this morning really will be a survey and then I think, I think we'll find the rest of our time to be real helpful. I, I already find myself so much more encouraged and excited about the book of Leviticus. That's often where people's read the Bible in a year goes to die, right? You, you kind of lose, you lose momentum in Leviticus and, and you think, what's going on here? And so really, really, I think it'd be an overstatement for me to say it's my favorite book of the Bible. But, uh, but also, I, I've really benefited from learning more about it recently, and I hope that all of us will find ourselves in that category as we walk through this together to, to learn more about God. Always important questions to ask when we're opening the scriptures um, would be to ask ourselves, what are we learning about God as, as we read? And so there really is a lot to learn about God. Another great question for us to ask as we study the scriptures is, so what do we learn about ourselves? There's a lot to learn about ourselves in Leviticus, even when it is a book that's given to Israel um, with specific rules and laws that would apply to Israel in the Mosaic Covenant, still for us to, to observe the holiness of God and, and to see the reality of our sin, uh, much for us to learn about ourselves as we look through Leviticus. And, and there's a variety of other themes that I, I think we'll benefit from. Let me begin in prayer. And then I throw a question out to you all. Uh, that would be for you to tell me what comes to your mind when you think about Leviticus. So maybe real concise statements if, you can, if any of you are willing to share. Let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning, thankful for the time that we can gather with our church family to worship you. Even in saying that, and is drawn to, to Leviticus to think of how approaching you um, is, is a matter that, that we ought not just approach in an irreverent or, or flippant way. You are holy and we are sinful. And so you have made a way for us to not only be in a right relationship with you through the personal work of Christ, then you have even given your commands. You have revealed to us how to approach you rightly. And so I pray that even those discussions would be, would prove helpful as we, as we look through Leviticus. May you be glorified through this study and may we be equipped and encouraged and to uh, apply what, what we learn. Uh, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, any, any brave participants just to kind of acknowledge what, what comes to your mind can be, you know, more, you know, informed or not. Just what, what kind of comes to your mind? Yes. Lots of detailed laws that really don't seem to apply to me today. Okay, I, lot, lots to appreciate from that statement right there. Because I do think a key word, it, detail. There are lots of details. And, and even if it was something like a job description for you in the very job that you're in, details are still sometimes like overwhelming. But then the point is made, there are a lot of details and they don't seem to even apply to me. So it kind of like, wow, details that, that aren't really all that applicable to me. Yes, Rick. That was the first part of what I, I thought of. But then to turn what you, you mentioned, sometimes it reveals God, right? Right. God is a God of detail. He speaks to his children in de- with detail, and he is a God of order. That's something that can transcend that book, the rest of the Old Testament, right on through you know, glorification. Very good. He's a God of detail. Yes. What is clean versus what is unclean. Okay, yeah, right? Would you like detail? Um, you're like, I love this book. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's a lot there about what is clean, what is unclean. Yes, Grace. It was my most eye-opening precept study, I think, because that was my initial opinion, was it didn't have anything to do with me. And seeing that the sacrifices were actually pictures of Christ and what he did for me personally, it was very eye-opening. Okay, very good. So when you think after studying it, it, what comes to mind for you is you, you're, you're drawn to Christ, the work of what Christ has, has done for you. Mm, okay. Martha, were you raising your hand? Yeah. Um, my thought was that when, we, when Rod preached in Luke, and the, one, the thing that hit me the most was when Jesus talked to the... the people on the road to Emmaus, and then to the 500. Oh, good. Chosen the books of Moses and Psalms and what else. Spoke of him, then that's why, I mean, this would be good to see how How this speaks of him. All right. Great. Yeah. I, I think it's the book where a lot of people read through the Bible here. So okay, yeah, that's right. I even, I kind of even quipped about that at the very beginning. I like it. That's often where it, that happens. You're good, but you're going to say more. It, um, it, it, it's the book that reminds you that nobody is justified by the law. Very good. Yes. Bobby. I've been going to church 62 years and nobody's ever taught me how to look at Leviticus. Uh, there seems to be an attitude for the last Old Testament about the entire Old Testament. And it's there for a reason. Yes. You know, it's, it's good to, like Grace said, it's good to go back and look at it and study it and understand why it's there. I think so. Right. Or we know so, because the, the New Testament tells us what Bobby's saying. Even one guy, one guy I was reading, uh, so there is this category uh, that we acknowledge of, of like neglected books, and then Leviticus is like the neglected book of the neglected books, is what this guy's point was. I thought that was funny. Even, yeah. The thing about Leviticus is that two-thirds of the 27 chapters deal with the tabernacle, and that's one of the most neglected doctrines of the Old Testament. Okay. Right. It's a lot about too that like you shall observe my statutes, you keep my judgments, so you may live securely in the land. Like I said that a lot. So when I read it like that kind of 
me, like, there's definitely things that we can still use in our time today, but if we follow these things, you know, not to guarantee that things will go well, because just even seeing God, God in, in the wisdom of God, that obeying God uh, is wise, and it, and we would do well to obey. I think I will move, move from there. I, in fact, somebody said details. I was listening to somebody teach through Leviticus, and he his his word was was specific. It's kind of what and he continues to this is. Uh, Al Moeller talking through Leviticus in his Sunday school class and just the word specific I notice keeps coming up uh, from his lips as he talks through Leviticus and I, I do think we're going to recognize specifics and, and here's a point to make if, if God is going to give Moses a whole lot of specifics um, we, we sure are thankful that we have it written down like the, the word of God you know it wasn't just a word of mouth thing that Moses would be like oh you know God said this, and here, listen carefully and remember this. You know, no, it needed to be written down, and it needed to be followed carefully, the specifics for, for the nation of Israel. Okay, so uh, great, great comments. I'm sure we'll ha- have more um, as, we, as we move through this study. You'll, you'll see on your, your handout just really a few categories I'd like to look at this morning. Just briefly just acknowledge the name of the book, talk about the authorship of the book, uh, establish the setting of the book, even maybe make a few comments about the significance of the book, which I would say has already taken place uh, with the comments that we've made this morning. We've acknowledged some of the significance of the book, even if we are not, you know, Israel. We still recognize there's some significance of the book, even for us as the New Covenant believers, as the church. Uh, so anyway, we'll talk a little bit about significance. We definitely want to arrive at the theme of the book and, and then spend the rest of our time just kind of walking through the outline of the book, uh, and that, that proposed outline I have in front of you will, will match up pretty well with, with our study over those nine weeks. We're going to walk through those, those different sections. So, name of the book, you even have in front of you, you'll see that it says, pertaining to the Levites. Like when we see the word Leviticus, that's what Leviticus is, is, is when you're, it's derived from the Septuagint where th- this word just established pertaining to the Levites. That's what Leviticus means. In the Hebrew Bible, though, uh, do you know the name of this book? You don't have to say it in Hebrew, like the translation into English. The Lord called. It would be, the, you know, what the name of the book. And so why would it be called, why would this book be called The Lord Called? Uh, first, for, if you're thinking even like Genesis, right? In the, in the beginning, like so that's the same. Leviticus, the, the, first, the first word here, the Lord called. And so, so that's the name of the book, and he called, uh, pertaining to the Levites. So that's what we're talking about with Leviticus. Even to uh, Jeff's point, in a way, too, if, if the book means der- um, pertaining to the Levites, there's actually a whole lot here that isn't pertaining to the Levites. There's a lot of instruction for, for more than just instruction for the Levites, but we'll learn as we go through on this reality. Okay, so the setting of the book leads to my next question to you. Where do we find Leviticus in the Bible? You can take whatever uh, you think I mean from that question. Where do we find Leviticus in the Bible? Okay, that, that's a real, 
Great point. Number three, the third book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So the third book of the Bible. But, but let's think even on a more specific uh, statement there. What, what do we mean by that then? Where, where do we find, if Leviticus follows after uh, Exodus and then it precedes Numbers, where do we find Leviticus in the Bible? What's going on? Yes, very good. Um, at Mount Sinai, uh, what's, what's going on at Mount Sinai? Go to uh, the end of Exodus real quick. Let's, let's look at chapter 40, and we're going to look at the last, last few verses. We just was even talking to a few men the other day about this reality. When we study the Bible, we, we want to acknowledge the context. And so if we're looking at a passage or a section, or a book, we want to we have the context of, of what we're looking at. And so we would want to acknowledge what is kind of this, this far context, if we're thinking broader circles, of if Leviticus is the third book of the Bible, and, and, it's, and it's written to Israel, what's going on um, with, with the people of God as, as we drop in, in Leviticus chapter 1, where are they and what's going on? And so in order to answer that question, you can't start with verse 1 of Leviticus. You have to go and look at what's happening prior to Leviticus to get the setting. And so we're going to even find ourselves with uh, an interesting reality. You, all, you have a problem, and Leviticus is going to answer this problem. So look at verses 34 and following in, in Exodus chapter 40. Jeff has spoken of the tabernacle. is going to be uh, a lot of instruction about the tabernacle in Leviticus. Well, if you think in, in Exodus, you know, the, the, table, the tabernacle was erected. You, know, you have the tabernacle now. This is where God is going to dwell. Let's read about this in verses 34 and following. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here's the problem. Ready? Verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up and over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, so you have the tabernacle, and you have Moses not able to enter in to this tent of meeting. So then look at verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 1. And we are still asking ourselves a, a geographical question. Um, location uh, settings on Moses' iPhone. Um, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Uh, prepositions matter. Where is Moses? According to Exodus chapter 40, and then communicated in verse 1 of Leviticus 1. Outside the tent. That's right. And so you have the Lord calling uh, to Moses from the tent. Moses is not in the tent. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Okay. Go then to the next book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 1. 
So, we, you know, we're, we're here at Mount Sinai. Uh, God brought the Israelites here. They, they've escaped, you know, from Egypt. This is at Mount Sinai. I think what takes place is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. This is where um, he received instruction about how to build the tabernacle. This is where the Israelites built the tabernacle. Uh, and then we just read in Exodus 40, this is where God's glory is filling this tabernacle. It became this physical manifestation of the dwelling of God. This is the tabernacle. And then Leviticus 1 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses from the tabernacle. So Moses is outside the tent. Um, Look at then uh, Numbers uh, 1. Um, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month. Okay, so what, what, is, uh, what is significant here then in Numbers 1? Where is Moses? In the tent of meeting, okay. Yeah, so, okay, so, yeah, big picture. He's at, still, it's still Sinai, so n- they have not left Sinai from Exodus chapter 40 to Numbers 1, but now Moses is in the tent. This is interesting, I believe, uh, for us to acknowledge, and we'll, we'll explore why as we walk through Leviticus. This, this Moses in chapter 40 of Exodus is not allowed in the tent. You see him not in the tent at the beginning of Leviticus, then at the end of Leviticus. In fact, he, he is there, and so we're going to ask ourselves why, and we're going to need to study the book in order to arrive at an answer there. Okay, so there, there's our setting. What's significant about the book of Leviticus? You've already contributed really helpful you know, statements just to show why, why this is helpful for us to know more about a book of, of specific rules given to Israel. Uh, even saw a question asked by uh, William Barrick. He's a, he was an Old Testament professor out of the Master's Seminary in, in a class on Leviticus. He asked this question. He said, why would we want to study a book that dedicates seven chapters to the sacral, sacrificial system of ancient Israel and then five chapters of details concerning indelicate matters. Uh, and I think, I think I'm going to stop the sentence there, actually, because he goes on to describe some indelicate matters. Why, why would we want to study a book that, that, that is, you know, so much detailed at, at first glance doesn't seem to apply to us? Well, I think we're going to find a lot of answers to that. But one reality is that this, it is God's word. In fact, it's fascinating to realize Leviticus, more than any other uh, Old Testament book, you're having direct revelation from God. I mean, over and over we read uh, throughout Leviticus, the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Like you have the Lord directly speaking to, to Moses. And so no other book in the Bible, Gleason Archer writes, affirms divine inspiration so frequently as Leviticus. In fact, he said, there's 38 occurrences, he points out, of, of this statement, the Lord spoke to Moses. So Andrew um, Bonner, you know, uh, he wrote in his commentary, there's no book in the whole compass of the inspired scriptures which the Holy Spirit has given us that contains more of the very words of God. So all scripture is inspired by God, but here as we, as we walk through Leviticus, you're hearing directly from God as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the significance of the book, I mean, this is the word of God. Some other points that we would do well to benefit from, what would be a theme that, that we have throughout all of scripture and Leviticus is very concerned with this theme. 
It's in relationship to the character of God. His holiness. That's right. So, so the holiness of God is, is something that we would do well to learn much about. Uh, as, as we walk through the significance of Leviticus, we learn a lot about the reality of God's holiness and what that means for the people of God. So the holiness of God on display throughout this book. Um, I asked at the beginning, what do we learn about God and what do we learn about man? Uh, what would you say you might learn about man from Leviticus in light of God's holiness? And actually, so Joe, do you recall what you said at the very end of your first comment? It's, it's really the reality of what we learn about man. That's by our own. That's, that's right. We don't match up with God's standard. We, we're never going to um, earn God's favor um, by effort. We are sinners, and so we, we fall short. So even as you walk through a lot of instruction about the sacrificial system, there's a lot that you learn about man. You, you learn that we're sinful, and, and, and we continue in our sin. So it's not like there was just this one offering, there was one sacrifice that took place, and then and, uh, you, know, you, 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 you did it, and now it's, it's done. I'm talking in Leviticus here. You had to, you had to keep every time you, you sinned in a certain way, you had to you do a certain um, you had to carry out a, a particular offering. And then, uh, then you had this annual day of atonement that took place because sin remained, sin continued. Uh, we sin because we're sinners. And so as sinners, we continue in our sin. And, and, um, and despite our own intentions or best efforts, uh, we, we continue to sin. And so sacrifices continued for the nation of Israel. And these are how they were to look. And Leviticus tells us how they were to look. And so then it certainly points us to Christ when we start thinking of that once for all language that we read about in Hebrews. In fact, Hebrews is going to be our best commentary on the book of Leviticus to think through what, what we learn about the holiness of God, what we learn about the sinfulness of man, and what we see and learn about this perfect, spotless, spotless, unblemished sacrifice of Christ who died in our place once for all to satisfy God's wrath, to pay for our sin. And so much of that uh, we get gain a better picture of as we study Leviticus. So we're going to learn a lot about the high priest. That's going to help us to understand Jesus even more as we see this role of the high priest in Leviticus. Uh, and, and again, as I just continue to say, it's really, it ought to point us to Christ, which has already been established that that's been a reality for, for some in here as you studied through Leviticus. Um, here's another quote from another commentator. Leviticus is thus a work of towering spirituality, which through the various sacrificial rituals points the reader unerringly to the atoning death of Jesus, our great high priest. So you're not reading Leviticus well if you read it and it doesn't unerringly point you to Christ. So lots of significance for us then in this book. Uh, the theme of the book, as already has been stated, is, is holiness. Well, that's what I would suggest it is. I have been reading another guy who, who's taking, in light of the fact that God is holy, he's saying the theme is a more specific implication of God's holiness, that uh, Yahweh is opening a way for humanity to dwell in his presence, is what this other guy would suggest. But what I'm thinking is he's just, he's just dealing with the fact, because God is holy and we're sinful, Leviticus kind of solves this, or shows this problem and reveals the solution for how they are to dwell in God's presence. But I do think in a general sense, it's helpful for us to recognize Leviticus's theme is holiness. Uh, that root word occurs 152 times in the book. 
So, so it's all over the place. Guess how many other books speak of holiness more than Leviticus in the Old Testament? None, that's right. So Leviticus says this more than any other Old Testament book. So if you're thinking a key verse, in fact, we, we see it even quoted in the New Testament. But uh, if you were to read, and this is just one of, of many times this occurs, but in Leviticus 19, verse two, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So we just walked through that in sermon series in First Peter 1. So lots to learn about the holiness of God. All right, so now let's, let's then go through the outline of, of the book. So again, 27 chapters, and you'll see on, on your handout that like those first seven chapters are kind of walking through these different offerings, these different sacrifices that are, are to be um, that, that, that are to be taking place for, for, for the Israelites. Uh, they're there to bring offerings to God. So uh, I'm going to depend pretty heavily on it. If you remember, probably it was a decade ago, we had like an Old Testament survey class where we walked through each of the books of the Old Testament. And so we walked through Leviticus then uh, and kind of using some of the, the, the manuscript there for, for what was said in regards to, to the, the outline of the book. But, but these first seven chapters, you read of five different offerings. So you have the burnt offering, you have the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. So burnt, grain, peace, sin, and guilt. Everybody turn to Leviticus chapter 1. I'm going to read in in verses 3 through 5. So we'll start then with, with that burnt offering. We won't be able to look at each of these today, but again, so next week, that's what we're going to be doing is looking at these first seven chapters more carefully. But you're looking now at verses three through five of chapter one. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so it's gonna continue with more specifics there, but, but here we have the, the burnt offering. It's meant as an atonement for sin. As you even kind of look at this picture, you have this placing of the hands on the head. This is a symbolic act, you know, where you're transferring, you know, the sinner's guilt onto this bull. The the bull is killed, and it's killed for the person's sin who's offering this burnt offering. Um, So an Israelite would have been very aware of his own sin, and this is what he needed to do when he sinned. So just imagine all the burnt offerings. If if your response to when you you sinned, um, you were to to make this burnt offering. Um, God takes sin seriously, and it's on display through this burnt offering that was to to happen in response to to an individual's sin. Okay, so then if you were to move into chapter two, the next offering you read about is the grain offering. So verse one, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, 
His offering shall be of fine flour and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Um, this was offered an offering of you know, devotion, uh, an act of devotion and remembrance. Chapter three, you read of the peace offering and you're recognizing that, that all that belonged uh, to Israel really belonged to the Lord. Um, so, you, so you have these, these offerings that, that are recognizing these realities. Um, chapter four, you have another offering, the sin offering. Verse three of chapter four. Um, well, um, let's see here. I'll go ahead and start in verse two. Speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. Um, What's, what's kind of interesting? What do you catch in there as you read those, those verses, verses two and three, about the sin offering? Yeah, Mark. Perfect without blemish. Okay. Uh, well, so you, you're, you're catching words that, that really, again, you're like, wow, this, I, need, I need to remember that, and that's going to help me to, to cherish Christ all the more. But you're seeing the specific nature of the holiness of God. You're seeing that, that, that obedience had to be total. You'd be careful in how you approach God. You didn't just offer him just, you know, what was convenient. You you offered him what he had commanded. So you have this unblemished, um, without blemish, an offering to the Lord. But it's interesting to even note this word unintentional, isn't it? If anyone sins unintentionally, what are we tempted to think about when we we, um, do something unintentionally? Out of ignorance? Right, oftentimes it's because of what we, we don't know of something. So, so we're off the hook, right? If we don't know about something or we do something unintentionally. No okay, right. So, yeah, yeah, not guilty because it, I, didn't, I didn't intend it that way. But, but what we're seeing is even ignorance of the law is no excuse in, in before the eyes of God. That even carries over as we start thinking of gospel realities too. Ignorance of the gospel does, does not place somebody in a right relationship with God. You know, if, what about somebody who's never heard? You know, well, in our sin, we are enemies of God. Our sin separates us from God. And we, uh, the only right response is, is trust in Christ, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So back here in Leviticus, you're seeing even unintentional sins needed to be atoned for. Um, even sins of ignorance uh, were still sins in that we're an offense against God. And so even if one doesn't know some action is a sin, it is still a sin. And the reason that it is still a sin is because it's God's standard. It's not our own, you know, standard here or our own awareness or our own ability. So lots to even take note of as as you acknowledge the sin offering there. Chapter five then, um, I guess I could... uh, Jump in in verse six, perhaps. Um, 
Uh, verse 5, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. So here in chapter 5, we're reading of this guilt offering. Um, highlights the wickedness of our sin, uh, and it atones for our sin. Um, you had offered this after you had become ritually unclean. Learn more about that. Or when you sinned against your neighbor. Okay, so every detail matters as you walk through uh, all those. There's lots of details and very little of detail was looked at just now. I just kind of acknowledged the name of each of these offerings. But there's seven chapters, uh, lots of specifics, lots of details, and every detail is laid out and we that Israel was to do, was to take note of, take, be obedient to, carry it out to the full extent of the law, right? So um, how much you were to offer, it's listed, right? What you're, what you're to do, how you're to do it, how you're to slaughter the animals, it's there in Leviticus. Um, what utensils you were to use, it's there. Um, how you're to use the utensils that you're supposed to use, that's also, I mean, every detail. So it's not, there's not assumptions being made. Well, I mean, told him to use a knife, so he's going to know to use the knife. But tells, you know, specifics about the why, the how, the when, the where, all of it is there. Um, God intends for his people to, to, um, feel the weight of, of their, the burden the, to, of sin. Um, God is an exact God, a God of order, as Rick was saying earlier. And all of this is a foreshadow of Christ as the perfect, unblemished lamb. So, so lots to learn as we walk through those offerings next week. Let's move on then to that next section. We, we've acknowledged the sacrificial system. Verses 8, chapters 8 through 10 speak to this, this priesthood, ministry of the priesthood. Uh, having established how individuals were to uh, offer sacrifices, now you have instruction about how the nation as a whole is to worship the Lord rightly. So, so God is to be worshipped and he cares how he is worshipped. Uh, so jump in in chapter 8 real quick. Let's look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses. By the way, did I jump over the authorship of the book at the beginning? I think I did, didn't I? Because it's so obvious, maybe nobody even thinks that's worth, you know, arguing about because it certainly isn't, right? It's all over the place. This statement of the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, 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 Moses. Moses wrote Leviticus. And, and it's, it's not hard to see that in Leviticus. But there, there's so much um, rejection of that from, from those who would not. I mean, it shows a lot about how you view the scriptures if you read the scriptures and then deny that Moses authored Leviticus. So Moses is the author of Leviticus. And here again, I just reminded of that as we look at verse one of chapter eight. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. 
And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the urim and the thummim. And he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. So again, lots of details. And you're wondering, what is Moses doing all this for, all these details? Well, verse nine, as the Lord commanded Moses. This was what was to be done. And so you're, you're reading of this anointing of Aaron and his sons as, as priests for the people unto God. So you have this, this priesthood, um, these chapters give regulations. These chapters give guidance on what the priests were to do, how they're to conduct themselves, how they were to perform their duties. It's all here in a very specific way. And so the main lesson again for us is that, you know, our sin against God, uh, the sins of God's people require great effort to be covered. Okay, our sin has to be dealt with and it's dealt with in a very detailed way. Um, and that's blood, right? There's lots of blood, unending blood in, in Leviticus to, to cover man's sin. Okay, then jump down to chapter 9. Let's look at verses 22 and following. Leviticus 9, 22. Then Aaron, just reading of some of these duties, uh, details. Verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So here now you see all of these details that took place in these first nine chapters and then obeying all that God has commanded. They're following through with these details. Everything that God says about what the sacrifices are to be and how they're to look and where they're to take place and how you're to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They obey. And, and here you see Aaron performing this, these sacrifices and then Moses and Aaron go into the tent. And so you just reckon, and God, God looks on this approvingly. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Um, and they rightly respond with worship. They fall on their faces. So, so if there was a problem and God has graciously told them what they're to do in order for them to, to, to dwell in his presence, you're seeing it worked. They're, they're obeying what God's commanded. And now Moses and Aaron are there in the tent and God's glory is, is on display and, and, and following through in obedience to what God has commanded in Leviticus is pleasing to the Lord. There's another example in Leviticus right after this of the exact opposite, right? So then chapter 10, look at verses one through three. So Aaron did everything that the Lord commanded. Chapter 10, verse one through three, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. 
So Aaron's son's killed for doing exactly opposite of what Aaron, we just read about Aaron's obedience. Even there's gonna be things that, you know, we learn even in the life of Aaron, but, but Aaron was obeying what Moses had told him as commanded by God. Here in chapter 10, Aaron's sons kind of just approach God, maybe unintentionally, ignorantly, thinking, you know, I know there's a lot of details, but whew, that sounds exhausting. Uh, this would be cool. What if we do this, you know, and just bring about this unauthorized fire, this, uh, no, no, it was, it, it was, it was not what God had commanded. And so they were struck dead. Uh, you learn a lot about the holiness of God there. They did not regard God as holy. You can try to think, what was this strange fire? Well, you're right, it was unauthorized. It was disobedient. They were not treating God as holy. Um, they did not rightly recognize that, that he was distinct, set apart. So they do whatever they want and they're struck dead for it. They disobeyed and they actually... In their leadership, they're risking leading others down this path as well of disregard of God's commands. And so God graciously for the nation of Israel strikes them dead um, because God is holy and he's gonna defend his name um, in regards to his holiness. Okay, um, gotta, move, gotta move on. Chapters 11 through 15, eat your breakfast on that Sunday before uh, we start dealing with laws of purification. And there's a lot of details here. Chapters about what kind of food the Israelites are allowed to eat, um, what type of animals they're allowed to even touch, uh, laws concerning ritual cleanliness after childbirth, what to deal with certain skin issues, uh, directions about bodily fluids, uh, even what to do if those bodily fluids touch other objects, what to do with those objects. There's lots of details here, and you're, you're thinking, you can get lost in the details thinking, why is this all here? And again, it's just emphasizing here the, the, the holiness of God and our right response to those realities. Um, so, so we'll have a lot to look, look through um, in a, maybe more of a general way that week. I'm not I'm sure. Uh, verses 11 through 15, uh, chapters 11 through 15. Then we get to the center of the book, the central point of the book, really even in the Pentateuch, if you're thinking of these five books, kind of the center of the, the Pentateuch is, is chapter 16, this day of atonement. So we're going to spend one week just focusing on the day of atonement, but you, but you read about it in chapter 16. Um, and we're just going to have to, to, uh, to do that uh, on that week. Uh, this, is, this is huge for us, though, to understand what's going on there. Um, I have to read some. I promised the nursery I wasn't going to go as long as I did last week, but I have to read some. Go to chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And so then as you're reading about the day of atonement, you're reading about this offering that has to take place. The priest has to make an offering for himself for his sin then an offering for the sin of the people you read about how that takes place what it looks like 
details. Then even part of the Day of Atonement as well, you have this scapegoat where there's this very helpful visual picture of the sins being uh, applied and then the scapegoat going outside the camp. So much in chapter 16 that shows us the holiness of God, the seriousness of our sin, and our need for Christ and how Christ um, is our great high priest. And so we begin to read those realities in Hebrews. Um, So I think it's it's just going to be a very beneficial time to think carefully about chapter 16 and then to go to Hebrews to see um, what, what, is, what is said there. Okay, so then if, if I was just going to summarize the rest of the book, you really just see a call to holiness. You see this, these, um, these uh, specific details about God is holy, so we're to be holy, and well, what does that look like? Here, here's here are certain acts that are sinful. Here are certain acts that are holy. Um, there are certain, day, certain ways to treat certain days, holy days, um, so, so the second half of the book, really, if, if the first half of the book is sacrifices, and then the middle of the book is the Day of Atonement, and then the second half of the book really dealing with a call to holiness, practical holiness on display in the second half of the book. Um, chapters 26 and 27, there's some conversation about blessings and curses. Um, as was said at the beginning, that, you know, the blessings of obeying, the cursing of, of disobedience that's, that's listed out in chapter 26. Chapter 27, there's these vows and promises that are given. Um, if I was to close with the question, do we need to keep all these laws? I think we have recognized in the room that, that in short, the answer is no. Uh, we're not Israel. We're, we're not under the Mosaic Covenant. We are the New Covenant believers. Um, all of the law was fulfilled in Christ. All these particular laws were fulfilled in Christ um, and it fulfilled in such a way that they don't govern us. Uh, we're, no, we're no longer governed by the, this, uh, this law, the this call to holiness, though, in Leviticus certainly applies. As the people of God, you know, the church, we're still called to this holiness. And that's why Peter would quote from Leviticus in 1 Peter 1 when, when we're called to be holy uh, because God is holy. So I'm going to close then with Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody turn there. And this will conclude our intro to Leviticus. Hebrews chapter 10, for since the law was but has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jump down to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so praise God for the gospel, for what Christ has accomplished, for his glory, for our good, in that once for all sacrifice when this unblemished, perfect, spotless lamb died in our place to pay for our sins, to reconcile us to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. I pray that as we move into this book throughout the next few weeks, it really would do a variety of things in our lives. Help us to have a right view of you, to, to recognize who you are and 
and you're holy, to, to see the seriousness of our sin in light of your holiness, to see our need for Christ, to delight in what Christ has accomplished for our good and for your glory. Help us to think carefully about these things as, as we study together. And I pray now, even as we move into our worship, I pray we'd be characterized by right worship, that the things that take place in our gatherings would be taking place because that's what we see um, commanded in the scripture for what to do when we gather. So I pray you'd be glorified through our worship as, as we go into this uh, next service. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.